0: Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you.
1: A lot of fantastic things are happening in our student ministries. We have a video of one of our students that kind of ties in with this series.
0: What attracted me to youth group was my friends. So um, I was first a little skeptical about coming to youth group at first. Um, and I was just told it's a good experience and you can come and learn about God and I didn't really have a relationship with Jesus at first but after coming to youth group more and more I developed a different relationship with Him and, and had a thirst for knowledge about Jesus and his, his Word. Some of the qualities of Jesus that have attracted me to have a relationship with Him is Definitely his forgivingness and his willingness to listen to you and to understand what you're going through and support you and he's someone that will always be there for you and always have a relationship for with you. I think that the, the beauty of Jesus is that he went and died on the cross for us and there was nothing in it for him that was for his gain. He did that for us. He died on the cross for us. And with that, he gave us an eternal life with him. He gave us heaven. And I think that someone doing that for you and being there for you is something that is just beautiful. And I think that is the true beauty of Jesus.
1: We're leading up to Easter with a series on the beauty of Jesus. In the video, Brady mentioned how beautiful Jesus is to actually die for us on the cross so that we could be forgiven, to do it selflessly. And that is an especially beautiful thing about Jesus. In the book of Revelation, it talks about them worshiping the lamb who was slain, which is the same idea. And Jesus did that while we were his enemies. Now, for the religious leaders and even some of the disciples... Um, this beautiful aspect of Jesus uh, did not at first appear beautiful or even welcome. It might have happened something like this. Peter felt like things were getting just a little too crazy. There were hundreds of people following them wherever they went. Everybody wanted to be near Jesus, to touch him, to touch his clothing. The time when people lined up for prayer, it was like it went on into the night And yet, even though they went to bed late, Jesus would be missing in the morning. They'd find him in the hills praying. Peter thought it was hard being a commercial fisherman, but he didn't think he'd ever been this tired in his life. How long can we keep up this pace, he thought. But he kept the thought to himself because he was not going to let the other disciples know that he was weary, but he'd seen some of them nodding off when Jesus was teaching. So they were down by the lake again outside of Capernaum, and it was late morning and the heat had driven away the cool morning breeze and it was kind of muggy and they could smell the mud and the fish and the sweaty people. And Jesus had just finished teaching a large crowd and now he was on the move heading south along the edge of the lake toward the main road. And a lot of caravans and uh, merchant wagons used the cobblestone road. Now, Now Peter hated the Romans, but they did know how to build a road. And the merchants brought their goods to the crossroads here at Capernaum. They came from the north and the south and from the east. And they would take their goods someplace in the Roman Empire, sell them at a profit, maybe buy something more and take the whole road back the way they'd come and then sell that at the other end back and forth and back and forth. And Peter thought, wow, what a life. They must never see their kids. Then he thought, I'm never seeing my kids right now. The merchants hardly bothered with more than one or two armed guards anymore because with all of the Roman garrisons spread throughout the empire and the Roman roads, groups of bandits didn't survive very long. It was hard to get away as a bandit these days. That's why Peter would always snicker whenever Simon the Zealot would talk about armed rebellion against the Romans. That was a swift way to die. Over the years, Peter and his partners had sold a lot of fish to the merchants. He liked selling to the merchants. It was his favorite clients because They didn't really know what the prices were supposed to be, so he could always charge them a little bit more. Each merchant had to stop at the roadside booth of the tax collectors by Capernaum. The taxes weren't so high to run the merchants out of business. Merchants still got wealthy, but the tax collectors did too, and the garrison got paid for, and even the emperor got a little piece of the pie. Rome's prosperity, the most prosperous empire to date, depended on the free flow of trade. So they encouraged their merchants. They didn't tax them too high. Too bad Rome doesn't treat the rest of us the same, thought Peter. It seemed like none of, the, none of the common people could get ahead. The blood-sucking tax collectors were locals who, they knew how much the farmers harvested, they knew how much the fishermen caught, they knew how much the construction owner workers earned, and they would just tax them severely until they could just barely survive. And it never paid not to pay. Peter's second cousin had dried some fish on the sly and sold them and hid the money and it just seemed like the tax collector knew because when he asked him if he'd made any more money and he lied to the tax collector, the tax collector motioned to the Roman soldiers, they broke both of his hands and squeezed them till he took them to where he'd hid the money and had to give it all. His hands were never the same. Another time the soldiers had ransacked the house of a widow, she spun cloth to make ends meet and... They took everything she had, broke her jaw because the tax collector said she was supposed to be paying more. She would have starved, but Peter's wife and other neighbors helped out until she got back on her feet. Every year in Capernaum, instigated by the tax collectors, somebody was maimed by the soldiers or even killed, allegedly, for not paying enough taxes. Everyone hated the tax collectors. Peter didn't know who he hated more, the Roman soldiers or the tax collectors who were actually Jewish, his own people. Just thinking about it made him angry. Jesus stopped suddenly and looked at Peter. Peter thought, does he know what I'm thinking? And looked away. Jesus turned and made a beeline for the tax collector's booth where merchants were lined up and several tax collectors were sitting kind of calculating how much they owed. With the crowd of hundreds at his back, Jesus walked right up to the front of the line and everyone just kind of stopped and everybody stopped talking except for one merchant he was there kind of looking at some parchment and calculating out loud what this merchant was going to owe and then all of a sudden he realized everybody stopped and looked up and everybody was looking at him and the famous rabbi Jesus was looking right at him and he gulped now Jesus will tell the traitors off thought Peter Jesus looked right at him and said follow me Peter was stunned. He couldn't have heard that right. Jesus couldn't possibly be inviting this traitor, this scum, this man whose kind was living off the oppression of the Romans, who caused so much suffering. But the tax collector, whose name was Levi, got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Jesus continued walking leisurely along the southern edge of the lake, talking with Levi as he went. Peter hung back. Confused, angry, disturbed. This time Jesus had gone too far. A couple of nights later, Levi had a big banquet, invited all the other tax collectors and a bunch of people that were really, really bad reputation. Peter stayed on the edge of the feast, just kind of watching, disturbed, not understanding. Some of the Pharisees and teachers complained to him, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Peter didn't know what to say. Jesus got wind of what they were saying about him and in a loud voice said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And Peter still didn't know what to say. If you were Peter back then, what would you have said? How would you have felt? Now, these Pharisees, they were upset by Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. These Pharisees were highly disciplined. They kept meticulously 613 rules so that they didn't murder or commit adultery or steal or lie. They were ceremonially clean. And they blamed people like Peter and even worse, this tax collector, for not keeping those rules so that the nation was not good enough for God to come back, send the Messiah, and rescue them. They looked down on a lot of categories of people. Many would wake up early in the morning and they'd lift their hands and say, God, I thank you that I was not born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. But they probably despised the tax collectors most of all. They were traitors. They worked for the enemy. They were worse than the enemy. They did it to their own people. And if a tax collector like Levi was approaching them on the sidewalk, the Pharisees would go to the other side of the road and shun him just to make sure that they, he knew that how they felt. And they wanted these people to be punished to experience God's wrath. Now, do you see this line here on the podium? Basically, everybody has a line, and for the Pharisees, Their line would be way over here to your right, and everybody on that side of the line was awful. And them and their friends were good, pretty good, good enough. Everybody else, rotten. Now, um, they would not only feel superior to people, They will also want those people to be punished. And this is what the Bible means when it talks about being judgmental. Our culture has changed the definition of judgmental. But what the Bible means is that we're feeling superior and we want people punished. Jesus said, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. The religious people were very good at keeping a bunch of external rules, but they were judgmental about lots of categories, Gentiles and fishermen like Peter, and especially traders like Levi, the tax collector. Well, what about Peter and his friends? Where would they have put the line? Well, it wouldn't have been here. They would have put it over farther, probably a good ways over more to your left, that for them, people on their right were the awful people. The people they looked down on, the people they felt superior toward, the people they wanted to see punished. Levi would certainly have been over there as a tax collector. The Roman soldiers would be, but probably not people like them. See, everybody in every culture throughout time pretty much has a line like this. Some place that they put that everybody to that side is awful, and they look down on them, and they want them to receive some kind of punishment. When Jesus invited a tax collector to follow him, they would have been shocked. They would have felt that Jesus had just gone too far. We want to keep the rules that we keep, make the sacrifices and donations that we make to help us to feel like we're superior to some. So we can condemn them, And we generally feel like they deserve some kind of punishment. But God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You realize that being judgmental is one of the most difficult human tendencies to overcome? Even people who get mad at people for being judgmental are being judgmental. They just put the line in a different place. Now they feel superior and angry with the people over there. Maybe they want them punished. It takes a deep, powerful work of the Holy Spirit to transform us so that we no longer feel superior to other people. We don't want them to be punished. The process of establishing the line usually works something like this. We start out being raised in a family, and they kind of tell us, okay, this is where the line is, and people that are maybe in this country, maybe the line's pretty far over here in this country, and our family says, well, you know, drug dealers and child molesters, and terrorists, they're over there. They're much worse than we are, and they deserve to be punished. Other people put the line in some other place. A good way to tell if you're feeling superior to someone, ask yourself this, do you ever feel or think, man, I would never do something like that? Who's on the other side of the line for you? Where's your line? Where is it? who's who's over there any individuals any groups any categories let me put it this way is there someone specific or some group that you would not want sitting next to you right now hearing about how they can be completely forgiven completely absolved and enjoy living with god forever a bully from school Someone who molested you as a child? Someone who killed someone you, you loved? So as we grow up, where we put the line is, is largely dependent on kind of the family and the culture we're in. But if we become a follower of Jesus, then at some point, he convinces us that we're not all that great after actually. And, and maybe we begin to see some of our foolish fears and pettiness and, or we struggle with lust or anger or an addiction and God finally convinces us that we're actually worse than we realized and then we have to experience what's called godly sorrow in the scriptures and godly sorrow is not oh I'm sorry because I can't be proud of myself it's not oh, I'm sorry because I'm going to miss out on something it's I'm sorry God because of the way I've treated you after all the love you've shown me it focuses on God And we come to realize we actually do deserve God's punishment and we could never be good enough and our only hope is in Jesus and his death for us on the cross. And we put our faith in him. And at that point, there's a supernatural process that that happens. The Holy Spirit working our hearts, convincing us that because we are selfish and prideful and even self-destructive, we're just not that good. And it makes us more gracious toward other sinners. And that's why Jesus said, If you've been forgiven, you will forgive. may happen in stages. Sometimes it takes some years for our understanding to deepen about our own brokenness. But when we see people on the other side of the line, we no longer say, oh, they're awful, I would never do that. They deserve punishment. We say, there but for the grace of God go I. That might have been me, different circumstances. So it just leaves no room for anyone to feel superior or to want punishment of others. And eventually, the Holy Spirit just helps us to get rid of the line. And then when it comes back, we just have to do some more work, get rid of it again. It's like Jesus partying with the tax collectors and sinners, people that would definitely have been on the other side of Peter's line. We befriend, we love all sinners. We hope that they see the beauty of Jesus and are attracted and want the grace that he offers to be reconciled. As Brady pointed out in the video, one of the most attractive, most beautiful things about Jesus is that he unselfishly dies for sinners on the cross, but he doesn't die for them when they're saying, see how I've improved? He doesn't die for them when they say, God, I really do love you. He dies for them when they're his enemies. When they're like Levi, the tax collector. When they're hating and hurting the people that he loves. The Bible puts it this way. We'll put it on screen from Romans 5. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we are now justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. See, for Peter and for others, it was surprising. It was unprecedented within Jesus Went up to some uneducated fisherman who had probably flunked out of rabbi school and said, Follow me. Surprising. But it was completely unacceptable when he invited an enemy like Levi. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus loves his enemies. He wants to woo and win the hearts of his enemies and then adopt them into his family. Jesus transforms enemies into family. That's what he does. And when someone believes in Jesus and makes, them, makes him their Lord and Savior, they, they repent. Levi can't overcharge anymore. He can't sick the soldiers on people anymore. People are changed. They're transformed. But long before people repent and turn their life over to Jesus, we befriend them. We love them because that's what Jesus did. He went to a party at Levi's house. There were tax collectors and other people that no other rabbi would have gotten near. But Jesus loved them, no matter what you've done. Jesus loves you. It's one of the most beautiful things about him. Do you still have a line in your heart? Is there people or some groups over on that side that are just so bad that you you just want them to be punished, that you won't befriend them and love them because you can't stand being with them. Jesus said it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now probably many of you have heard that many times and and, and, you know the bad news, we're actually all sick. But the good news is that Jesus heals. He's, He's come to heal the sick, to die for his enemies, to to give them the kingdom. He said to the disciples, Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, give you everything. The good news is that in spite of all the stuff that goes on in your heart, and you may look great on the inside, but I, I know your heart's somewhat like my heart. In spite of all the evil in your heart, your place in the universe, if you will accept it, is by Jesus' side. Jesus comes along and says, you're all evil, you're all, none of you is deserving, and I want you by my side, and I will die for you while you are still my enemies to win your heart, to pay for your sins. Now that is beautiful. If you've been here during this season, a series, I hope that the beauty of Jesus is growing on you. But we have to ask, what are you going to do about it? There's really only one appropriate response. And it's interesting that today we learn the appropriate response from someone who was considered a traitor, an enemy, the worst of the worst. It says in Luke, And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Do you really have to give up everything? We talked about this a little bit last week. Of course you do. It all belongs to him. Your life, your relationships, your career, your stuff, your money, your time, it all belongs to him. Your place in the universe is to be a caretaker of your life, a steward of your life. You were never meant to be the king of some universe. You were meant to walk alongside the king. See, he bought you twice. He made you, and he also paid for your sins. Your place is by his side. And he is a loving and wise king who will always do what is best for you. Do you trust him? He died for you. Do you think you can trust him? You can trust him. You can be loved by him. You can love him back. He actually has an adventure for you. Did you know that he had an adventure for Levi? Levi ended up having this amazing adventure. He actually wrote the book that is probably the second most printed, published book in the history of the world. Only one surpasses it. Because, see, like Peter also had the name Simon, Levi also had the name Matthew. Let me read to you how it goes in the book of Matthew. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, Levi, who is also Matthew, wrote the book of Matthew, the first gospel in the New Testament. Probably the only book in the world that has had more copies printed of it than that is the book of John. An enemy, a despised person, a traitor, Jesus transformed his enemy into family and gave him a significant role to play in history. he wants to do the same thing with you, not necessarily something that will be remembered through history, but every choice you make will have an impact. He was drunk, and David Stecker left a bar and started driving home drunk. A cop car immediately started following him. Now, David had actually made some progress recently. Instead of using hard drugs, he was only getting drunk most nights. He was even getting a degree in social work. But if he got busted for drunk driving, he would become disqualified. Now, David had grown up being beaten and sexually abused. He believed the worst about people. Growing up on the way to church, his parents would yell at each other and curse each other in the car, and then they'd get out and Smile and look holy as they walked in the sanctuary. And now David trusted no one and felt that all Christians were judgmental hypocrites. He hated himself and God. No addict wants to be an addict. But a Christian couple named Nate and Becca befriended him at the restaurant where he worked. He made fun of church. They invited him to church anyway. One day they invited him to church barbecue. He liked barbecue. So he came, had good conversations, and people seemed to actually just like him for him. He started attending the church sporadically, but he made it clear just to hang out, not because I believe any of this baloney. And even though he was still getting drunk most nights, he justified it in his mind because he felt he was doing pretty well. He would left off the hard drugs, and he was getting his degree, but that night when he saw the police car following him as he drove drunk, he panicked. All his plans were about to go down the drain. And he was startled at himself when he began to pray. God, if you get me home without getting pulled over, I'll go to Nate and Becca's church every Sunday. He turned a corner. And the cop stayed right behind him. He prayed again and promised to, to give up drugs. He turned a corner. cop was right on his tail. One by one, he swore off every bad behavior, drinking, driving drunk, cussing. The cop followed him all the way home. He turned into his driveway and into the garage, and the cop kept on going. He immediately passed out drunk. When he woke in the morning, he told himself the promises he had made to God were stupid, and he headed off to a Super Bowl party where he was looking forward to getting wasted. There was a song on the radio he didn't like, so he just turned to a blank spot on the radio, and then all of a sudden, crystal clear in that spot came on a Christian song about hope, about transformation. And it just grabbed him. He pulled over, and like Roberta told you last week in her video, he heard a voice. Come home, David. You can do this. And he sat there and wept. He went home. The next Sunday, he joined a Christian recovery program and has been sober ever since. Now he works helping other people in recovery. He was a drunk and an addict, and when he was driving drunk that night, some of us might have thought he was a hopeless addict, but within 24 hours, he heard God's voice and decided to get sober for good. Do you know that two-thirds of addicts overcome their addiction by sometime in their 30s? Love on people, addicts, cynics, enemies. Never give up. I'm I'm serious when I say I urge you to plan now to come to the church picnic and bring somebody. Make it a big deal. Come enthusiastically. Start inviting people this week. And when you're there, just strike up conversations and listen well. Love on the people that will be there. Show everyone that followers of Jesus are not judgmental hypocrites, but just a bunch of flawed people who love people because we've been loved by this beautiful Savior. We're just people with struggles, but we truly believe that there is something beautiful and worth loving in everyone, even people who have given up on themselves and on God, even people we used to think of as our enemies. Before the band comes, let's, let's take a few moments to pray. The Holy Spirit is here. And it may be just like Roberta or like David, you hear his voice now. It may be you simply are feeling a nudge. Hopefully he is confirming to you that this beautiful Savior loves you and wants you in his family and wants you by his side and wants to bless you and transform you and give you abundant life, would you let that sink in? Would you listen to his voice? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now and drive away any evil influence that would keep people from hearing that would keep anyone from blinded. We ask that you would come and take away any thoughts that are distracting us that we might in, these, in this moment hear your voice. And Lord, we think about people who, as far as we know, they, 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 don't, they don't know you, they don't, they're not following you, and we ask that you would give us away to love on them, whether it's the church picnic or just going over and listening to them or taking them out for coffee. Lord, help us to be you, beautiful and accepting and loving, to be you, your ambassador. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: And now, some parting words from Pastor Rick.
1: Last week we We looked at how this rich young ruler just had everything going for him. He refused Jesus' invitation to follow him. And this week we looked at someone everybody would have despised, a traitor, an enemy, that lays it all down and follows Jesus. It would have been shocking for Jesus' followers to have someone like Matthew be invited to follow them but i'm so glad that jesus is that beautiful because i was an enemy when he asked me to follow him jesus said you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son shine on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. But if you love only those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Now may you be filled with the Holy Spirit that you might have all the power you need to follow Jesus at his invitation, to love even your enemies, to feel the presence of God with you as you go out as his ambassador. God bless you. Go in peace.
0: Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.